which which says what is right or wrong that we all know. But there is also a mind which says, okay, I like this and I don't like this. Most of the time we listen to the mind. Now, slowly, if we start shifting ourselves and start listening to the intellect, that perhaps lets us know what the right action is towards the goal of life is. Uh, then the discussion started centering on what exactly is the goal of good human life and is moksha means heaven. And if so, what is heaven? So I, I actually wrote a blog post yesterday come summarizing some of the topics what we discussed about moksha. Um, I wrote it as moksha, is moksha equal to death? But is moksha equal to heaven? And if so, what is heaven? So that was that way that we discussed. Then we, dubbed, then we discussed a little bit more into career goals. Are they truly goals? Then, um, uh, then there was uh, this uh, discussion about, you know, career goals are all, uh, you know, artificially made up by us. In fact, that is not, that's not even relevant in the bigger scheme of things in terms of what human realization, human's life goal is all about. Uh, then, there, then the topic moved on to discussing about karma kanda, jnana kanda and karma yoga. So there was a little bit of uh, 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 definitions that, that got clarified. So Karmakanda is the first part of uh, uh, the Vedas, which says, you do this, you get this. You do this, you get this. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a list of do's and don'ts that, that you do to get, get some benefits. And these are typically associated with uh, some sort of a, uh, you know, a fire sacrifice or some sort of a thing in the, in the earlier context. But, but as, we, as we move forward, uh, uh, you know, centuries and millions of years, uh, thousands of years, then the context of uh, uh, fire sacrifice changes, um, but still the concept of karmakanda is that you know you you do this and you get it. That's the thing, and you get it means it could be anything specific that you are looking for, either pleasures or uh, 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 anything in this material world, or something like heaven that that our scriptures talk about. But jnana kanda is that that part of the scriptures, which is the, uh, uh, the conclusion part of that uh, Vedas, which says, what exactly is that nature of God that, that we are trying to understand? And who, who exactly are we? And is there a difference between God and us and this world? That's the concept that we're trying to understand. So it's more of a understanding, a vision change, rather than do this, get that. That's the difference between Karmakanda and Yanakanda. Now, what's the difference between Karmakanda and Karma yoga, are they, the, are they both the same? Actually, no. Karma kanda and uh, jnana, uh, karma yoga are completely different. Karma kanda is a set of do's and don'ts and the results what you're going to get. And karma yoga is the attitude with which you would do anything without getting any, without wanting any desire for yourself. And even when you when you have any desire for, for yourself, how you accept it, what is the attitude that you have? That is karma kanda. Then the discussions moved on into uh, what exactly is single-pointedness? Is single-pointedness to be desireless? And I think, uh, is, that, is that the goal? That was a question that was asked. And I think, uh, you know, I was uh, uh, going through these, uh, uh, these shlokas myself, and shloka 2.38 actually says, what is single-pointedness? Single-pointedness basically says that, sukha dukhe same krutva, labha labo jaya jayo, it says, do not worry about Sukha Dukkha or Labha Labo Jaya Jayo. Having that attitude is single-pointedness and doing work is single-pointedness. And then it, it goes on to say, okay, 
this is what I have, I have, uh, Krishna says that this is what uh, uh, is Sankhya Yoga and putting that into practice, I'm going to teach you now and that, then he goes on to talk about that, uh, the spiritual part. Now, uh, uh, in the discussions, what I've also, uh, you know, wonderfully uh, uh, listened to was this point about um, a spir spiritual path. Is it a path of learning or is it a path of unlearning? And, uh, you know, someone had this beautiful point saying that half the time we have spent by identifying ourselves with somebody. And now you are asking us to unlearn and to follow the spiritual path. So it was a beautiful uh, debate. And, uh, you know, the way that I have understood it myself uh, is that the way that you do either a painting or a sculpture. In a painting, you start with a tabula rasa, a white, uh, uh, white slate. And then you start painting one, one, uh, uh, one thing at a time, one stroke at a time. Whereas in, in, in sculpture, you take a piece of marble and then you chip away all those things that you really don't want. So there was these two approaches and uh, we, were, uh, we were debating, okay, what is learning and what is unlearning? So that's uh, where we ended. And uh, was there anything else that, ah, one last point. Uh, then there was this, this discussion about various roles that we do and the associated uh, troubles or um, uh, problems that we will have when we associate ourselves with those particular roles. And how do you actually, you know, step away from those roles, but from identifying yourself to those, with those roles, therefore consequently getting rid of the problems that are associated with those uh, roles. That's what I understood from the GD and please correct me if, or add to what I have not said. Am I audible, first of all? Okay, I'm not hearing anybody. There's some problem. Additionally, no, it's really good. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. For a moment, I thought my audio is again lost. Okay. Yeah. All right. With that, uh, today, uh, I, don't, I forgot the slokas that we are uh, discussing today. Was it 45, 46, and 47? Alpana? All right. That's right. Yeah. We, we follow the same format. Anybody can start off with your aha moments or uh, um, anything that you that you want to trigger off the discussion. Okay, I can go with my aha moment. Um, I liked what uh, Swami C said, the past is dead, the future is not yet born. If one becomes unhealthy and inefficient in the present, certainly he has no reason to hope for a greater future. Uh, I thought that was a very well said. <laughs> uh, if you're not going to be here in the present, you have no right to hope for a good future. So, uh, <laughs> of course, easier uh, to read and harder to follow. But uh, And one thing I really, I felt sad about is that he said, you should not dream 
nor should you uh, what's the other word he used i forgot and i was like oh no but i, I love to dream so <laughs> that was a, a bummer <laughs> but yeah i think chitra he say it's not that don't dream but he says dream for the present <laughs> on, on this uh, yoga kshemam you know i've always somehow um, you know grown up hearing that in the uh, positive sense actually i mean like uh, whatever you do people used to say i'm doing it for the yoga kshemam so but i think you know that that's not the intent with which here it is explained is my understanding correct like you know you need to basically uh, you need to give up yoga or shemam and not uh, you know typically i i've I heard this way that you know if you if you especially pandits when they do something and all when you do when you ask them what do you do it for they said yoga shemam so have i understood wrongly i have then or now no no i think uh, you understood right actually that is that is the way it is but then uh, the third step is going beyond that yoga and shemam right for example the way that the book defines this uh, yoga uh, yoga kshema is uh, yoga is something that you don't have that you want to acquire and kshema is something that you have that you want to protect okay for example health we have health good health then you you know you don't need to go and acquire health again but you have to protect it by doing you know exercises and all that you don't have uh, uh, you you are aiming for a particular promotion then you got to work towards it that's that's yoga and so then the karmakanda part of it is okay you do this you get this therefore you do this you do you you will get that promotion okay that's the karmakanda part of it so when the priests do that satyanarayana puja for you at home in the hope that you know you you initiate that hoping that you get a, get a promotion then that's yoga Okay. So Rajesh, I just had a question. Uh, so I had a question. This yoga definition is very different from what we have traditionally understood. Yeah. Swami ji uh, defines it as to acquire. Yeah. And I was like, you know, where does this come from? Yep. So any any comments on that? Comment the only on comment that I would have is we will give we will give our good old friend Krishna a few more days and he will come back with. Uh, how many words have been used how many times yoga has been used in gita and what are the different definitions let's give him a few more days okay i, mean, I hope you getting the message one explanation vp that i i read was that yoga means to join and Correct. Uh, acquire is also you know you're acquiring means you're joining something with yourself right so i think uh, rajesh is right there are a number of uh, ways you can look at yoga but i think in this context it's about joining something with yourself yeah i was thinking that that's sort of the way to go but at least i was i was not fully convinced with that uh, connect there that on one hand you know yoga is to bring to these two things together and here you're looking to acquire something meaning you are trying to uh, get it from your outside right where yoga is just to more to do with your internal things which you are trying to bring together whether it is your breath and your your mind etc etc so that's why i just i was just uh, perplexed by that definition probably worth doing some research on various usages of yoga at some point yeah 
I'm sure there is more detail. <laughs> yeah. But you know, this 245, I have to say I really like the, the shloka, spe- specifically the second part where it talks about nirdvantva, uh, nitya sattva, and nir-yogakshema. And I somehow thought this was in the wrong place, if you will. Because, you know, in a way it talks about transcending the three gunas and going beyond, uh, you know, duality and being established in, in the eternal truth and not to focus on material sort of gains and uh, preserving those gains, uh, which is what a kind of typical sort of yogi or a sadhu in our context would, would kind of trend towards. Uh, and so for this to come sort of just before karma yoga kind of got me a little bit uh, off guard. But otherwise, I think from a ultimate goal perspective, uh, essentially what it is saying is to move away from the material world and establish yourself in the truth, which I think is probably, you know, the final step. And uh, we're kind of at the, at the karma yoga stage at this point. So it left me a little bit confused, but I think in terms of the the, the, the message and the way it's been sort of worded, I found it really nice. Ajay, um, I had a similar uh, observation when I was reading that particular, um, you know, shloka. It, it does talk about sattvic and the three um, gunas and how to take away. But as I read the other shlokas and came to the last one, Karmanye Vadika Raste, it made a meaning like why he had this shloka first mm. and then explaining you know, all these things, the three gunas we have to dissolve to come to, uh, you know, understanding the self. Um, and then how we can do it is how he says about reciting Karmanya Padikaraste. So it was, it was a good segue of, but if you just look at it in um, that particular shloka only, it, it's very confusing. But I think these, Shlokas, I would say from 35 through <laughs> maybe 60, it need to be read together to one by one uh, peel the onion and understand. That's how I felt. And I had to reread all these three, four shlokas again and again. And um, You're probably right. I mean, the Karma Yoga is following and Karma Yoga is the first step. So the, it's basically a reminder that that's your ultimate goal to become Nirguna. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think uh, that's, that's perfectly right. Uh, and I also like that, like how he says, Atma, Atmaman, establish in mm. self. And he, is, he kind of stresses that a lot um, in the whole uh, chapter. And then uh, he brings it back uh, huh? again somewhere I read. Yeah, I forget where I read, but um, he brings it back uh, when he's explaining how to use the work like everyday work we we do that itself is a reward something like that he says in a place um so beautifully he brings that back into i think 48 shloka so that's my observation yeah i i just had a question now I heard Vidya saying we have to dissolve the rajas and the tamas and have only sentient. Did I hear that right? 
or no? That's how I understood. Like, I understood that even sat, you know, the subtlest satric thing also needs to dissolve. That's how I understood. But I don't know. Maybe others understood differently. Yeah, that's how I understood it. Which is, you move from tamas to rajas, and eventually to sat sattva. That's the that's the goal in sort of the material world. But your ultimate goal is to even transcend sattva, because you have to become nirguna. So, though um, you know, my understanding is is as follows, right? Which is that we we are comprised of the three gunas at all times, no matter what, right? Whether it's um, whether it's the body or the mind, any matter is composed of the three gunas, right? Now, uh, then, what does it mean by transcending, right? So, it's the effects or effects of the gunas, right? That it has on us. So uh, even when we say going from tamas to rajas and then to sattva, it is the proportion, right? The three gunas are in an interplay, and one of them usually is higher than the other two, right? So as we go from being more tamasic to sattva, it the the, the proportion of sattva increases, and and subsequently. The, um, the amount of rajas and tamas decreases. So overall, it needs to be the same. But so when one increases, the other two have to decrease, right? To, uh, to come back into, um, uh, to keep the overall being the same. So, uh, but that is still in the, even, even when you are uh, uh, predominantly sattvic, I mean, from there, you'll have to transcend the gunas, meaning you um, are, above the effects of the three gunas because the three gunas leads to they they are the ones that lead to the thoughts of likes and dislikes and uh, even a sattvic mind would have strong like and dislike towards something probably a little bit more um, uh, for the greater good possible but even to go beyond that so that those mental agitations related to that are not affecting you right so to me transcending means to um, means to go beyond so that uh, you can still be in uh, in a, an equipoise or an equilibrium state right in your mind so that's that's how I understand it yeah Kishore very well said I would just add as we you were talking I was thinking this uh, to what Rajesh said is um, when we go towards sattvic and um, and then ultimately probably dissolve is when Rajesh was thinking that is death. Like when you merge or you become, you are the power, but when you have no like nirguna, maybe that is death. I, I just, uh, I was just thinking in those lines, but a discussion point. Can I just quickly ask one question? Uh, just relating to this. Um, uh, so, okay, I heard the word equipoise and I heard three gunas. Uh, so does that mean the gunas have to balance each other? Only then you will be in equipoise or only if you have sattva more, you will be in equipoise? That's a really good, uh, really good question because it, equilibrium seems to indicate that the three gunas are, in, are equal uh, kind of a thing. No, now, my understanding is um, uh, we go from predominance of tamas to predominance of rajas and then to predominance of sattva, right? So, um, and, you know, as sattva increases, 
what does it actually mean, right? Um, the when Rajas decreases, the the agitations related to wanting to acquire, wanting to um, uh, yeah, basically around acquisition that goes down. Tamas is uh, is more around uh, keeping us um, more what do you say sedentary or uh, so there is activity in Rajas, but even that activity is for a certain purpose. You go a sattva will uh, take us to a higher, greater good in that sense. But then um, it doesn't mean that the three gunas in quantity are the same. So it is a really good question. It, it seems to indicate that way. I, I agree. Yeah. The equipoise is re the result of the mental state being um, uh, being calm rather than the gunas itself. Mind is also made up of gunas being a material um, entity. I just want to add here. I mean, I don't know if it makes uh, understand a bit more. You know, like every thought is powered. I mean, every thought is a conscious thought, you know. So, I mean, uh, if you look at it, uh, thought arises in the mind. And this mind is powered by uh, what we call consciousness. And that is what yoga defines as us, you know. So, uh, the consciousness has nothing to do with the thought. Whereas thought is made up of all these three gunas, you know, because it's a realm of the mind. The sattvic, the rajas, or uh, this one is in the mind. So when you are at the sattvic level, increase the sattvic level. Ultimately, where it comes to a point uh, that that the thought itself is on the consciousness. So it merges. It'll be let's say I mean 99.99 percent thinking on consciousness. So the balance one percent is automatically dissolved and gets into consciousness, and where there are no thoughts. This is what uh, I see as equipoise, where you will keep your mind in equipoise, uh, where you will transcend all the three gunas. But this is with the help of sattvic, only you can achieve it, is what my understanding is. Very well said. Yeah. I don't know if you're hearing Alpana. Um, uh, just one, one, just one more point here. Actually, if you think about where, um, uh, to Mahesh's point, the thoughts that arise in the mind. If you now think about, you know, these thoughts are coming from somewhere. They are being powered by something, right? Because we didn't, ninety percent of the time or, or most of the time, we are not consciously bringing that thought. But if you, but these thoughts arise. That it's a constant process. It's it's constantly coming into the mind. What powers these thoughts? If you think about where, what is the source of this, right? Where is it coming from and what is powering it? Now, that source is our, you know, is from our vasanas. It's from the subconscious. It's from our vasanas and it's driven off of that. And these vasanas are made up of, um, of these gunas, right? So um, depending on our composition of the three gunas, whether we are more sattvic, rajasic, or tamasic, the type of thoughts we get will be, will, will also be defined by that, right? So in other words, we'll get tamasic thought if we are tamasic. We, we'll get more rajasic thoughts if our composition is of the gunas is rajasic. Now then, thoughts, leads to, thoughts lead to what we say, what we do, 
it it all starts with the thoughts though right so in that sense other parts of what we uh, other parts of our life also get defined by our gunas isn't it so in uh, so that becomes very very uh, uh, key if you really think about um, think about it along the lines of these gunas right so and to eventually go beyond it would be the um, the final goal of of um, of spirituality as uh, as it's laid out now i think it's alpana's turn no no it's okay because i think yeah not very well described the you know second half of the first line um i was actually trying to go to ajay's first question so i don't know whether it's relevant now but i'll briefly just say that that um so the as vidya rightly said you know the four shlokas before that you know where it starts from having the one pointedness and then it goes on to talk about the karma kand part of uh, vedas so hence it is describing throughout in the earlier three shlokas 42 43 and 44 uh, what the karma kand is and how we use the vedas to to do that and if we have the if we do that then we will not have that one pointed focus because there are many desires and it is all driven by the desires so i think the first half of the first line says that vedas the veda here means the karma kand part of the veda they refer to what is driven by the three gunas so so it's actually trying to culminate the first three ones before it goes into the uh, karma yoga so that's why actually it is in line in um continuation of the earlier one so so that's how it is there and then that eventually as he was trying to say that to have that one pointedness we shouldn't have the desires and we should not look at the karma kanda and he's trying to you know uh, be little the karma kanda side of it and that eventually the goal is to transcend them i think we had a very good discussion on how to transcend it and then it just says that why should you transcend so this is the state you will get into so the second line actually just this he'll reemphasize again and again so that we know what is the purpose the purpose is to get to this state you know what is described yeah. well said alpana well said thank you that that i i, I get it i think uh, it's a lot to kind of absorb uh, as you're reading it but i see where you're coming from yeah so uh, ajay uh, in fact i was also reflecting on your first part of the question right as to you know does this shloka actually fit in the right context and things like that and something what you said uh, uh, triggered this thought you know here's what i heard you say right you you said that you know uh, we have to move away from the material path and then move on to the spiritual path actually um, that is not the case you know to be very honest with you the, the if you look at uh, I, i read this i read this somewhere in one of the swamiji's lecture he says you know if you take the entire word count of vedas maybe 90 to 95% is describing karma kanda part of it and nobody would would uh, you know have vedas in such a such a proportion if you if they are not asking the asking the human beings to start doing karmas and uh, derive pleasure and you know enjoy life okay kama krodha you have to do it sorry not kama krodha so i apologize dharma artha i am in a mistake dharma artha benefits we have to do it and that's why vedas are there now 
the the reason uh, to alpana's point right the first shloka and the second shloka the first shloka goes to the previous part of the few shlokas because it says that this is all the preparatory steps that we need to do right so first of all the key point that i want to make is that without uh, belaboring the whole uh, the whole discussion is that you know chasing our material goals is okay it they, it is sanctioned by the by the by the vedas but there are certain set of individuals who say that this is not good enough for me okay then you got to go beyond that for them what is the path now that comes the next part of the gita from this shloka onwards right i get that's that's one thing and the second thing that i want to uh, just tie up to uh, vp rajesh's question if you don't mind right in terms of definition of yoga right i i kind of you know made a joke out of it by requesting krishna to kind of you know look it up and then do it but the point is exactly this this is where the importance of guru comes okay so there's no way that you can read the scripture and understand the meaning by referring to a dictionary it's impossible to do it we have to first unlearn you know all the concepts what we have and understand the way it is supposed to be understood that is why you know some things will speak to you some person uh, you know out of the thousands and thousands of uh, you know uh, um Uh, gurus will speak maybe only a few will attract us because our mindset will get attracted our definition of our concept of a particular word in a particular context and that the way that uh, guruji is saying will match that's why the resonation resonance resonance will happen okay so so the point is you know uh, please do not look at the dictionary definition or our own definition of what the particular word is look at how that particular person is interpreting the particular word in that context chitra yeah i i have another question <laughs> sorry too many questions today um so um when we're talking about the three gunas uh, my understanding from what we are discussing here is it's all in the thought so the thought has three gunas is that what we are talking about because when i'm i'm thinking about uh, if you're saying rajas is action but we are always acting right we are doing something or the other you know i'm i'm cooking i'm cleaning i'm so if so i'm kind of confused what so is it the thought that is the rajas satvik and uh, tamasik or so um yeah uh, others can back me up here but uh, anything pretty much right anything materialistic is composed of material uh, made of material rather right including your mind including a body it's all made up of gunas right so um the thoughts if you look at it what is driving the thought it's coming from the subconscious right and that is made up of the three gunas right so uh thought might be a uh, thought might be the manifestation of the three gunas in the subconscious so the type of thoughts that you that you receive in your mind are driven by something whose constitution could be predominantly one of the three gunas you see what i mean so that that subconscious just for simplicity we let's say we think of it as a subconscious they yoga calls it samskaras or vasanas in in vedanta right so what is that th- those are the gunas in fact that's where those 
gunas are uh, are there and they they drive these thoughts is is my understanding miss i hope uh, somebody else can correct me if my understanding is wrong i can i can add kishor well said but uh, you know chitra i'll go with with an analogy that i read sometime back right the analogy is imagine that there's a weaver okay the weaver has been given three threads okay of three different colors now on on the, the time he starts weaving you know the 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 his trying to weaver weaver rug let's say okay and with these three threads he's trying to weave it and there's nothing right now there's no rug no nothing now he decides he decides a pattern in his mind and he decides to weave that right now he's interweaving these three three threads in a particular pattern on the rug at to form the rug now the rug is done right now the entire rug has got only the three threads right but where the three threads color combination of these three threads happen at different places is based on what that particular person has decided right now that's exactly how the our life goes on as well right in terms of the interplay of these three threads sattva rajas and tamas right we decide we seem to have predominance whether it is unconscious subconscious vasanas or conscious active what we do or uh, even the the food that we eat and that's a gentle plug for chaturmasa if you want to develop uh, sattva sattva uh, you know thoughts you know please eat sattvic food and yeah. to practice eating sattvic food you know you have to be you have to try chaturmasa okay so th- the point is this the point is you know it's a it's a interplay of all these three things at any point of time not just in our not just in our thoughts the entire universe that we see because there was a time t0 when this quote unquote big bang or whatever that we talk about right or the the universe started uh, creating getting created like a carpet example that i used at that time sattva rajas tamas started com- combining in so different combinations and i think in the in the previous uh, uh, sessions we discussed about this rgb i don't remember who mentioned that rgb combination i think i'll name it okay the rgb combination is the only combination on the on the laptop screen that we would see but it shows so many millions and millions of colors to us it's a tapestry right and we can determine where the where the colors can go that's exactly what what our thoughts our, our our life has to be interpreted in, in that fashion in terms of interplay so it's not just at 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 the body at the mind level it's even at the body level at the body level it's maybe i'm just making it up okay 90% 95% tamasic uh, uh, right it's okay 99% 99.999% is also okay but if the thing shifts into the same proportion moves into uh, the mind Uh, as the same proportion as the body then we become lethargic and to add to that uh, rajesh um, even the environment around us can be more like early in the morning like if you look at uh, the the uh, murtham they talk about one and a half hours before sunrise they say is very ideal why because now the night has gone by the night uh, in the night the environment is uh, more tamasic in nature because it it kind of encourages us to rest as well right and then at some point it shifts and it becomes more satvic in nature and that is the early morning hour and when the environment is very satvic if if you meditate at that same time meditation is for increasing sattva in, in us right so when we do it at the same time it helps the environment it, uh, reinforces 
or makes it easier for us, us to increase the quality of the meditation. That's typically why they say uh, it'll be uh, better to do that early in the morning. So even the environment goes through its uh, in the, in the, the same interplay. Afternoons, if you see, are uh, you know more rajasic. And then it shifts into dusk when it starts to transition from there into a more tamasic mode. And then night is more tamasic, right? So if you see how the environment um, plays, and then you, we are in sync with it so that you know, we rest when the environment is also uh, tamasic. Then, for, and we uh, rise up early as an example, then we are in, in resonance with the environment as well, right? So we see the interplay of gunas there as well. And as you rightly pointed out, there's food, there's what we do, you know, I, I sometimes see, you know, one or two, um, you know, Netflix videos and you just feel lethargic at the end of it. Uh, you just feel down, right? Um, same thing. It's just what we do matters, what we eat matters. Uh, and so if you constantly keep this in mind, it, it is uh, very fascinating, in fact. I just want to add one quick point. So anything we experience is made up of gurus including the instruments that we use to experience them. So I think I just wanted to add that. So even those instruments, I mean, we did say one and buddhi, etc. But the anything that we experience is made up of gunas. The experience itself is made up of gunas and the instruments we use to experience them are also you know, made up of these gunas. Yeah. So I mean, Rajesh, I have a quick, oops, I have a quick I question. If you're saying the three threads, then shouldn't we have all three threads to have beauty? Then why are we saying we should only have sattva and not rajas and tamas? I think I think that yeah. that's the point I was trying to make uh, okay. about gunas. The predominance, yeah. It's not as if uh, as if you know you need all three. It is not. It will always be there. Yeah. You need to sleep at night. That is the probably the height of tamas, if you will, at some level. It's good tamas in, in, in a way, right? So it's not not as if you only need sattva. You need rajas as well because you need to act in this in this transactional. Role. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think the, the, the key thing, and I, I know Kishore, you know, ultimately it all leads to two forty eight and samatvam and equipoise. I think the starting point of that is gunas, because you basically are working towards increasing the mix of sattva in your RDG or RBG. <clears throat> so. So, you know, if you take another example, I mean, tamas is basically when you are doing, uh, you know, something that hurts others, just in terms of action. Rajas is when you're doing something that you, you do selfishly almost, I mean, for yourself, right? And sattva is when you're doing it to help others, right? And when you help others, you get a very different kind of calm and peace and uh, gratification, which you can never get from the other two actions, for example, right? And so the whole effort is to move towards sattva. And sattva then, if you look at 245, it talks about nirdvandva. Nirdvandva is nothing but uh, pairs of opposites, where you're either too happy or too sad or you know, too sorrowful or whatever, right? So the idea is to reduce that, that, that spread. And the more sattva you are, the lesser is that spread. And therefore, that leads to equanimity and samatvam which leads you to 248. So I think there is a whole sort of thread which starts from your question around the three gunas and ends at uh, you know, where we are trying to get to, at least from a transactional perspective, uh, 245 parts. Perfect. Very, very nicely said. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to ask a question when Ajay said that, um, you know, from Tamasic to Rajasic to Sattvic, it's uh, the way he described Sattvic is to do good for others. Um, in my mind, I thought, you know, Sattvic is more towards totally nishkam in the sense that you, you are not even thinking that you're doing good for others. You're just doing the work. That's yeah. how I thought, but maybe... Yeah, so, uh, so uh, to answer your point, Vidya, and also Chitra to your question, you know, um, to be very frank with you, I think we should park this at this point of time because there's a whole chapter called Chapter 17 where he talks about, uh, uh, you know, Gunatraya Vibhaga Yoga. The entire chapter is devoted only to explain in various categories, okay, uh, how to think Sattvic, Rajasik, Tamasik, how to, how to give Sattvic, Rajasik, Tamasik, how to act Sattvic, Rajasik, Tamasik. There's a huge... Three by three matrix or you know x by three matrix that we will drop for us and if you want you know if you want to jump the uh, lesson and go forward please go forward and check it out but otherwise we'll, we'll park it for the moment it's very complex this topic is pretty complex yeah i think what i was explaining chitra was at a high level but rajesh is right there is a lot of nuance to this and we'll come to it eventually yeah for example you know uh, what would you say about meat is meat tamasik or rajasik or sattvic That's a question. Me? No need to answer. Well, are you asking? Okay, I was not sure you're asking me or you're asking no, me. No, I'm not asking you. It's just a question, right? It's just a question. It's a rhetoric question. The point is, even in a, even in meats, there are different types of meats which are rajasic, which are tamasic, and which are sattvic. Right? The point is, we don't understand the nuances of it. We just make assumptions saying that meat is bad. It's not the case. The point that Kishore made about morning one and a half hours prior to the dawn being higher in the sattva, is that the only time, I mean, again, I'm just trying to understand the alignment with the environment. Is that where the component is higher and so the our ability or, you know, if you're really trying to kind of be in more sattva mode, that's the time to shoot for? Or is there any other kind of a spread during the day, particularly from an environment and timing perspective? Again, it's a proportion, right? It's it's uh, uh, the proportion of sattva is at, at its highest at that point. It's not like there won't be sattva at other times. It just happen, happens to be that that is the transition from tamas being predominant to sattva being predominant in the environment. During that, during that time. The other like a, thing that like we are told is also about tamas to rajas to sattva, right? Correct. But correct. the thing is from the night when it goes down to when it actually becomes morning, it goes from tamasic to sattva or tamas to sattva. That's an interesting one. I'm not sure uh, where rajas so plays I in. Think, yeah. I think about it, uh, just another perspective is that I think you write the morning when you wake up fresh and with sort of the rising sun, there's a lot more sattva. When you get sort of busy with all the day-to-day -day activities during the yeah. day, there is a more rajas. I think by the end of the day, once you're done with your day and you're kind of going back into your sort of sleep mode, which is tamas, I think you probably go into a little more sattva at that time. So I, the way I look at it is there are a lot of people who like to study first thing in the morning because they are sort of more focused and calm and all that good stuff. And there are a lot of people who do that before they go to sleep because they're done with the day, they are kind of, you know, looking at sort of uh, resting 
but before that they kind of a lot of people meditate at you know before they go to sleep but i think for a similar reason so i think it kind of it's like a you know it starts with uh, morning starts with rajas then it kind of moves towards tamas back to i mean it's it's not only rajas or or sattva or tamas it is predominantly uh, those attributes so uh, uh, shamla to answer your question right in a slightly different way uh, my understanding is as follows so looks like there is a particular period of time in the day starting in the 24 hour cycle day where there is a uh, transition that happens different transitions that happens and i think our scriptures seem to have defined three transitions during the sunrise okay midday around midday and during the sunset these are the three transitions our scriptures seem to have defined and during this these times are uh, called as sandhya you know uh, as sandhya means something that joins from from one to another 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 from one phase to another phase there's a phase right you know let's say 12 o'clock is a is a hot is a midday sun where the sun is supposed to be the hottest at that point of time i'm just making 12 o'clock up right now maybe it's hotter at hotter at 1 o'clock that doesn't doesn't matter so sometime before and sometime after is supposed to be called as the uh, transition period from one phase to another phase which is predominance of let's say a particular combination of sattva rajas tamas to a different combination of sattva rajas tamas so that that phase that sandhya phase is supposedly very very conducive for developing spiritual qualities okay and basically that in 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 other words in you know, those terms are supposed to be more sattvic so it's not that uh, during the middle of the middle of the day you know it's high of rajasai no there is a particular time period before and after this particular uh, you know the 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 solar cycle in a, in, in the day that you have this transition periods and that's why this practice called sandhya vandanam is is supposed to be very powerful to be done at these three times is it sandhya only in the evening or is it like morning also sandhya is just junction co, co joining of you know three transitions and i you know i more than this i have i i've got zero depth on this because this is this goes into you know astrology psych, you know the planetary motions and all that which you know i have zero knowledge and just to add something more about it you know what happens you know when you sleep and get up there is a gap in between you know so i mean in the mind there's a sort of equilibrium so uh, i mean the moment you get up i mean it's like between two thoughts there's a silence you know so just like that similarly when you sleep and get up there's a silence which is considered to be equipoise you know that is what the state which one uh, would like to go towards so that when you at that point of time you meditate you will achieve equipoise very quickly is what they say that is why they talk term it is more satvic you know similarly in the evening you know when you are about to sleep and when you when we cannot say when we are awake and when we are asleep i mean we cannot post it saying that i i slept at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock you know so i mean uh, you know that particular point that second you know where you are about to sleep and you are awake as well that is an equilibrium state you know which everybody would like to again go that is the state which one is achieving that is where one if concentrates on that uh, more sattvic is added and uh, is what i my understanding is conducive for sattvic development 
So isn't uh, this Brahma Murata, which is 45 minutes period, 45 minutes before sunrise, supposed to be the most Satvik Rajesh? Yes, that's yes. it. That's the yes. one and a, I think it's one and a half hours, yes. if at, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it starts at it yeah. starts at one and a half hours uh, before the sunrise and then finishes 45 minutes before the sunrise. Before the sunrise, okay. At least that's what I understand from something that uh, uh, somebody Rajiv had posted in the Chaturmasa group. Yeah. That's right. You know, we, we can see the, the energy, right? If it's very early in the morning, when we step out, yeah, the energy is very, very different. I mean, if you, yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, that's pretty much it, right? You can feel it. And when you step out in the afternoon, there's a different energy. Yeah. On a lighter note, uh, Kishore, I always feel very sleepy in Brahma Most of us are. Most of us are. <laughs> yeah. Most of us can't even wake up at that hour. Yeah. No, I just want to add here that, yes, these are where the environment helps us, but they're not mandatory. So we can overcome that and then can do it at any time, whatever suits us. Yeah. Um, if anybody, if no one has any question, I just wanted to touch upon 46, otherwise we'll not touch upon it at all. Uh, so that is where actually it talks about the Vedas again about the Karmakand, that uh, uh, once you know the, once you're enlightened or you know the Brahma Gyan, then the Vedas also have no uh, use, actually including the Karmakand and the Gyankand, as it gives the example of if you have a lake next to you, you wouldn't have use of small, small water puddles. So, so I thought it's a, that's where actually it stops talking about the Vedas then, <laughs> before going into the Karmakand. So, so just on that same uh, shloka, Alpana, I mean, what I was reading, which I found kind of interesting in the same analogy of a, a lake and a smaller sort of water body was that, uh, uh, that you know, in the four Purusharthas, the uh, Artha and Kama are included in Dharma and Moksha, but Dharma and Moksha are not, cannot be included in, in Artha and Kama. And Artha and Kama being sort of the material side of it and the other two being the spiritual side of it. So, in a way, sort of the analogy is that the, uh, that the uh, Dharma and Moksha are the bigger lake. So, once you have the bigger lake, the smaller lake of Artha Kama are irrelevant. And I think what you're saying is that you're kind of almost going a step further to say that eventually all of this will not matter once you achieve the ultimate. Yeah, what about that? related to you know these timings yes it's important it's it's good to know and to start with yes but eventually <laughs> doesn't matter i think once you start practicing uh, all environment will appear to be conducive and uh, explanation very very easy to kind of grasp yeah yeah and i think yeah what you said is really good that um dharma actually that's why we always say dharma artha kama moksha actually some places I've read it as earth, kam, dharma, moksha, but usually it is dharma, artha, kam, moksha that get the knowledge of right and wrong, the righteousness first. And based upon that, if you get earth and kam, it's fine. And then get to the, the moksha. You earth and kama in the backdrop of dharma, correct? Yeah. So that, that brings me to an interesting question, okay? 
So dharma means right, knowing right or wrong. So does right or wrong uh, is determined by our likes and dislikes? Sorry, I lost a question, uh, Rajesh. Repeat that. Is, uh, is doing right or wrong determined by our likes and dislikes? This right or wrong is determined by the individuals. I don't think there's anything absolute right, absolute wrong, right? So it's all colored by what we have as you know preferences, likes, dislikes, opinions. So is right or wrong determined by our likes, dislikes, preferences, opinions? Isn't it determined so by I would our... say in the sorry, go ahead, Ajay. I was gonna say, I mean, isn't it determined by our vasanas? I mean our likes and dislikes, you know, there are things that we dislike or which are wrong, but we yet do them, right? So that's the vasanas at play as opposed to anything else. Isn't it? So if 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 uh, if if uh, our vasanas determine our likes, dislikes, preferences, opinions, then what uh, what whatever that we are doing, how do we know it's right or wrong? Yeah, you. I was going to say, Rajesh, that in the context of Gita, I guess it is all the values that have been described later on, right? That 20 values we went through and the book that value for values, etc. So I think in that sense, they are probably the, uh, you know, decider, if you will, for what is right or for wrong. But we are in the transactional world. Uh, most of us, you know, end up uh, deciding or convincing ourselves based on our likes and dislikes. Is that right? That's a trick question from Rajesh. Now, Dharma is decided by scriptures. <laughs> it is not by likes and dislikes. I, I use a simple I, benchmark. You know that whether would you like the same thing to be done to you? I mean, I think I think that's a quick way to check whether it is right or wrong. Okay, just to yeah. add some little bit of humor to it, you know, I was just reading an article where. After doing all the war, Arjuna and all these five brothers, except Yudhishthira, everybody went to hell. That is what I read. I mean, I mean, serious, no jokes. I mean, yesterday, I mean, only yesterday I read. So, I mean, if you want, I can uh, forward you that uh, link. I mean, it seems only Yudhishthira went to heaven. So, instead, in spite of following all the dharmas. So, please think about it. So, you're right, Mahesh. Basically, Arjuna was the guy who listened to Gita, but he went to hell. Yeah, in fact, uh, in one of the shlokas, uh, Swami C mentions that towards the end of his life, he wanted uh, Krishna to tell Gita again because after winning the war, he forgot everything. And <laughs> Krishna yeah, said, yeah. "Radius." You know, you know why? He was eighty-six years old when he uh, fought the war, eh? Arjuna. Yeah. yeah. So we still have a chance. <laughs> And that's a fact. I was reading the Wikipedia. Arjuna was 86 years old when he was uh, starting the war. Lifespan was probably much longer. Sorry? So the lifespan was perhaps much longer than what it is today. Not too much, actually. Well, it was 100 to start with, right? So It was 100 to start with because you had 25 years of each ashrams. So <laughs> that's how, in the Karam Khan, at least, that's how it was set. So, yes, people were living probably beyond 100 easily. And if I can, if I can, add, if I can add something, I was reading in Ramayana. Uh, apparently, 
Parvati ji was fasting for a thousand of years or some king is fasting or doing uh, japa to get to Shiva for thousands and thousands of years. So go figure that. Actually, I visited the, the, the temple in Haridwar where uh, Parvati ji did penance for, I think, 9,000 years. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about, Udna. That's exactly the point I'm saying. These yeah. are Devi Devtas, right? So Devi Devtas, they live for one Manvantar. That's a long period of time. So their days and are different from our days anyways. So, yeah, yes. well, well, they were talking about one particular king. Sorry, Ajay. They were also talking in, in, in Ramayan. They were also talking about this one king. I forget his name. Um, who, who went, you know, after ruling and all that, he went away and then he was doing prasnas for thousands and thousands of years. I'll actually take a picture and send it to you guys. Yeah, that, even uh, Ram lived forever, right? I mean, he was actually defeated by one of the forefathers of Rama. So he lived correct. for generations. Yes. Yeah. So it's very interesting if you read Rama and uh, you, I mean, at least my head was spinning that, yeah, ye kya ho, right? thousands and thousands is like they're just throwing it in there. <laughs> Pratyuk mein, everybody lives for a long time. So that's more than 100 years. Yes. Maybe their days are shorter. <laughs> I, I thought of that also, Chitra. I, I said maybe they're, but then they are very precise. See, that's the problem that, uh, well, not a problem, but the way I have understood is that most of the things in scriptures are very well defined. So you can't really uh, argue that they would have a shorter day or something because they have, I think once Alpana had explained to us that ye hota hai, ye hota hai, you, you itna lamba ye hota hai, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's mind boggling. Yeah, I think uh, the context of this is basically, if you, you know, it's like wearing a, a colored glass and complaining the world is in a certain color, right? So I, I think the Western view or understanding of science framework is extremely limited, uh, whether it is time, whether it is space, whether it is human consciousness, right? So if you try to fit that in, uh, I think we're going to have challenges. I think I'm also referring, I think, Mahesh's comment, right? It's hell and heaven. Uh, if you look at the Vedas, there are 14 lokas, right? I mean, there's no hell and heaven, like a black and white. Uh, so I think it's very subtle. Uh, I would just be very careful when you're looking at Wikipedia, where there's a lot of BS. People retrofitting an extremely colorful world into a monochromatic lens. And uh, and unfortunately, we all in English we understand that monochromatic lens. Uh, just a word of caution, right? Because as you delve deeper, you will see it's extremely rich, colorful, uh, multi-dimensional world, which I don't think science has gotten any clue at this point. This is a comment, broad comment. I mean, as we read it, we we need to have this context in mind. Otherwise, we'll start going down a rabbit hole saying, you know, "Why this 400, 300?" And uh, this is a comment there. So. Absolutely well said. In fact, just yesterday in my Vishnu Sahasranam class that the person was telling, you see, if you want to read any, let's say, Ramayana or Mahabharata, you should read in Sanskrit and understand it in Sanskrit rather than in any language. I say, oh, that means there's a lot of work to be done. First to learn Sanskrit before you even read it. <laughs> because interpretation is, is a problem. I, I completely you know, agree, agree with that. And also, Rajesh, this is like poetry, right? I mean, even if you read it in Sanskrit, and even if you understand, I mean, like the same word 
if it's used in a different context, it would mean different versus. I think it's a it's a science by itself. Correct. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And that's where we, we suddenly start feeling the need for guidance, right? Because now the urge is there, saying that I want to understand this right and you know, course correct myself. And then you really want that guidance. And when that then when that need becomes stronger, then we will find our guru. Shyamala. Tajir, back to your trick question, right? Isn't it same, are we not drawing, going back to the Swadharma and Swabhava discussion? Right, wrong, like... It was not a trick question. And that's what Alpana said. <laughs> so, are, 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 isn't it the similar discussion, no? Swabhava and uh, Swadharma. It is similar, uh, uh, but, but the point what I was trying to make was that, you know, uh, we make this mistake saying that uh, uh, sometimes we think that something is right and we go ahead and do it. But the reality is, you know, uh, just because we think it is right, uh, driven by, you know, our past behavior, past uh, uh, thoughts and actions and vasanas, it may not necessarily be right. For example, you know, waking up at 7 a.m., is it right? If I ask you a question like that, you know, 99% of us will say, yes, it is right. But, you know, think about it, okay? Are we, uh, you know, we talked about just a few minutes back uh, in terms of, you know, using the power of uh, nature and, you know, aligning with the nature cycle. The very discussion automatically shows that, you know, waking up at, at, at sun, sun, sunrise or before sunrise, around the time of sunrise, it's probably a better proposition than waking up after sunrise. Right now, how would you, you know, where does our preference comes, likes, dislikes come there? There's a certain natural cycle to everything what needs to be done. And that is the one what is prescribed in the Vedas. So your likes, dislikes, preferences, opinions are all yours. Keep it to ourselves. That's all. You got to do what needs to be done. Kishore, Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, go ahead, please. Uh, it was not directly related to this. So, Kishore, if it is, please go ahead. I'll chime in after that. Not related uh, to this particular uh, okay. Go ahead. Then, then I'll go. Yeah. So, I found like you mentioned the word poetry. So, I wanted to just mention like between 45, 46, and 47. Well, like this beautiful uh, interchange of uh, words and concepts. So in the first line, I found that it said like, all this Veda is about uh, the three gunas. But in the next line, it will say, be always in sattva, which is actually one of the gunas. So it seems like one is the philosophy or, or like bashing the conventional philosophy. Then the next line is about like a methodology, how to go there. And then the very next sloka, again, it's like one more slap on the existing Veda pot where he's saying, everywhere there is water, then why do you want this just one pond? And it's back-to-back -back thing. And then the very next sloka, again, it goes to Karmanyeva Adhikaraste, where like, again, it says, oh, this is the way you... So it, it, it seemed like pro probably one way, like Vyasa is trying to confuse uh, Lord Vinayaka when he's writing to kind of maybe make... That, that's what first occurred to me, like, oh, every single sentence you are like switching switching the context of both the words and the concepts. So one is, don't follow this existing thing. 
do this thing which is actually what i just told you not to follow which is the triguna then the next thing saying oh again it's like all this water and everything is there and the way you achieve it is through this karma yoga that i thought was just like too beautiful i was like reading this over and over a few times to to fully grasp it and i totally agree yeah i mean like uh, in spite of reading each single uh, sanskrit word and trying still it doesn't feel like oh this is not my native language if it's been in my native language i would like get even a uh, bigger thrill out of it and so i think like our only uh, uh, option to better enjoy is to kind of learn the language more deeply and get all the uh, various different context just to tie back earlier so i did read somewhere that uh, i have, it's not a joke i've been meaning to do this of all the context in which the word yoga is used in bhagavad gita apparently there are some 13 or 15 different meanings uh, of the word yoga like one is the yoga and then there is a uh, yoga kshema context and then of course every chapter has the word yoga in it as well so uh, there is probably way uh, deeper context there and and it just definitely needs to be done so yeah thank yeah, you said, uh, krishna kishore before you go can i just take the uh, 10 seconds so um, uh, you know here again you know I'm, i'm again putting a gentle plug for chanting so the moment you start chanting these shlokas right the last one year journey has been tremendous for me because of regular chanting what i have learned is that i have been able to recognize words much more easily rather than the antonyms of those words for example there are some places where you have to break it in a particular way for example yoga kshema you cannot break it as akshema or, or you have to break it as yoga kshema so my request to you is even if you don't did not like the way that we did the chanting here whatever it is it doesn't really matter please try to you know learn this by yourself okay it's very very powerful and you will really really be able to appreciate the uh, the, the the sentences that that goes on in in gita at least kishore yeah i mean uh, i just wanted to take us back to the yoga kshema um uh, uh, verse and also to satya's point you know the uh, it, typically it is it is you know it is mentioned in a positive sense and it seems like it is mentioned in a slightly negative connotation here so i just want to point out uh, the way i understand this is um, yoga kshema if it's about acquisition and preservation why is it uh, in in has why does it have a negative connotation just wanted to point out some additional thing here you know when we acquire something there is there is a lot of um uh not only effort but also suffering in terms of acquisition right we we constantly think about it we want it and that's constantly running in our mind right and then at some point we acquire it um to preserve it is yet another right so there is suffering in preservation because we want to keep it and maintain it and so on and then when we eventually lose it for various reasons there is suffering there as well which is that hey i i really like this and now i've lost it right so now you you replace anything with that it i mean you you realize that there is always uh pain and suffering no matter uh, in no matter what you're trying to acquire then preserve and then when you lose so in uh, so yoga kshema in that sense is to is to go beyond that because you you don't have the strong uh, urge to ac- acquire something and when it when you eventually lose it uh, if you're able to say that's that's fine as well then you're not um, uh, disturbed by uh, the the three stages of uh, acquiring preserving and losing 
something. So just want to point, it, uh, point that out. And that's why the yogic shema uh, part has a slightly negative connotation, even though, uh, you know, we, we work and we acquire things and so on, but be aware that that's the context, right? So. And just wanted to add here, actually, this word will come again in ninth chapter, where Krishna will tell himself that I will do the yoga shame for you. So, so okay. even okay. though it's considered as negative here, because of the exactly the reasons you said, because we will get anxious about, you know, how to get it and then how to protect it, etc. So Krishna himself will say that I will do that for you when you don't have to be then worried about the consequences or the anxiety of getting it. Yes. 9.22. That's a big shift. That's a big shift to let go of the control from us to quote unquote somebody that we don't even know whether he exists or not. You're on mute if you say something. Oh, sorry. I didn't catch that. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. So I think uh, there is a Krishna's comment on seemingly contradicting statements of, you know, one statement says, don't look at Vedas, and second says, do this. Um, I think this needs to be viewed in the broader framework of uh, Sanatan Hindu Dharma. I'm just giving, this is my insight of the broader framework. See, it's the, the, all the dharmas, the Vedas and Bhagavad Gita including, everything happens in two planes. One is uh, we all operate with an identity, right? I'm a businessman, whatever, right? It refines that identity towards fulfillment. That is one, one, one science that will always happen. And without a, without a guru, you, you will follow the dharma, right? Which will help in refining this who I am, my identity uh, in all aspects. Uh, whether the sattva, uh, all this discussion more towards sattva, all of them are towards refining that identity. Then at some point you meet the guru who helps you to dissolve that identity, right? There is a space. They also say that, you know, the fulfillment happens not just by any identity. Every identity will not fulfill you. It doesn't matter how great, how good a cause is, uh, whether you're helping others, you're helping the world, it will not fulfill you. There is to, to attain the fulfillment, the true happiness or bliss, there is a space where all of this dissolves. And to go from the refined identity to that space, you need a guru. And that time, once you meet a guru, they say the dharma also becomes the guru's words. The guru vak becomes dharma. That is why if you look at the, the parlance, first Krishna's, because uh, Arjuna's caught in a pattern of, oh, this is a Veda, I cannot break Veda. So he has to first break the pattern and give the second guru work for your context, for your enlightenment. You have to do this now. I have so when you meet the guru, um, he will break a lot of the frameworks, uh, whether it is a Veda framework, society framework, family framework. All this will be broken because that is an individual context of your enlightenment. For you to experience the space beyond all that, he's taking you into a journey. Uh, so that's why we have to be very careful when we read the scriptures. These two planes are always happening. And sometimes people will take, oh, disrespect Vedas out of context and start disrespecting Vedas with an identity. See, when you meet a guru, if your guru says disrespect or drop this from the Veda, you drop it. Till you meet a guru, you the, the Vedas or all the scriptures give you a good boundary conditions through which you will refine. 
So if you break it with identity, you're going to get into trouble. That's that's a broadly there. How I understood these lot of discussions of uh, Bhagavad Gita or even many scriptures. You need to have these two parallel journeys that happen within that, and you need to contextualize where the where Krishna is talking in what context, uh, whether it's teaching to the world or whether teaching to Arjuna. They're very very different. Now that's why they say uh, a guru always answers the questioner, never the question. You. You read many gurus, uh, disciples' experiences. He always answers a questioner. Same question, one for one disciple will be yes, the other disciple will be no. Uh, that's that's how it happens. Just just a little context there. So. You summarize two dot forty six very very well, Mukhu. I think Swami Chinmayananda says that you know the person who is self realized a guru, he actually gives sanction to the Vedas, which I think is what you're explaining. That's exactly right. What the state becomes a Veda for the disciple. Should we move on to, uh, we have probably about eight minutes. So the famous Gita Shloka, Karmanya Vadikaraste, is, I don't think we will have time to cover that today. Or is it all? Probably next time, I think. Yeah. But I think we can start, right? Looks like it by. So, you know, I'm going to ask a very curious question. I'm very eager to know about this. I have heard this Karmanya Vadikaraste ever since I was maybe five years or six years, right? And at, has, has, a, has the understanding of what this says changed for you guys, you know, from what you first heard to where, where we are today? The first time I heard it, or for the longest time, I had no idea what that meant, to be honest. <laughs> It's only now I have a perspective. I don't know whether it is complete or not, but at least I have a perspective. All this while, I would, I would kind of, I knew the, I knew the shloka uh, because you've heard it forever, but I had no idea what that meant. Yep, uh, totally agree. Yeah, from the first time I heard it to over the many years, it constantly keeps evolving. Still, till day two, even now when we read, there is like this new meanings coming out of it for the same thing. But, but. For honest confession, 20-25 years ago, I kind of took it more as like how teachers and elders say to students, do what I tell you kind of mode. It's like more <laughs> uh, more like hit you on the head, just do what I tell you. And uh, somebody just wrote it to make you follow the rules and, and say, yeah, it's written in the book, so you better follow this. You know, and this rebellious, rebellious attitude in us comes back. I'm not going to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in our school, uh, this was uh, our uh, what was saying: you have only the right to action, but not to the fruits. So it was. I mean, I didn't know it came from the shloka. Um, I just assumed our principal made it up because it suits her. <laughs> but now that I'm looking back, <laughs> maybe she got it from here. <laughs> but uh, yes, it was very, very highly emphasized. Every day we had to repeat this. <laughs> Interesting, it's coming back in a different form. Like a number of things that you hear when you are young in Hindi, it was called Karm Kareja Falki Chinta Matkar. But you know what it meant 
it didn't mean anything i mean okay fair, you know what do you mean palki chinta mat kar you know so you kind of say okay you you hear it and you you kind of move on so you never reflect on it in a way okay, that thought, was a song uh, from manoj kumar in a movie yeah perhaps yeah. <laughs> alpana please take notes for that we need <laughs> we need your video <laughs> you know i thought the teachers used it so that we won't challenge them why they gave us half mark less for a part <laughs> ஒருஸ்டாண்டிங்ஸ் and then they use this as a word to kind of make you do that you did not really want to do and then later you realize that you have been bluffed all along then it fires back in two way so one one you know mistrust like whatever the source is and then you also mistrust this authorities anymore like oh no i'm not going to listen to this anymore so yeah all the more the need for uh, good guru any anybody else want to share your thoughts on um, how your interpretation of this shloka changed because i'm kind of you know, using this time just to kind of set the context for what we're going to discuss next week because i don't think we will have the time so please feel free to share. yeah so rajesh i would say that uh, uh, like most of what others have said yeah it was uh, known very well that uh, um, you know this is what it means but i think in the last one year as we have going through the scriptures it has evolved and i would say i am not still very clear where it ends and the reason i say that is because i was trying to tell my younger son that you should be thinking about this and then he saying how can i write the exams without not expecting uh, good grades etc etc and, and and that's what i was struggling with him that you know you have to give up the idea of the result and just do it because you enjoy doing it and then he kept arguing with me that why why would i enjoy it and so i i just said okay that's your duty you're a student you're supposed to study and uh, so it was a very interesting discussion we had because i made him read the swami sees uh, uh, pages on commentary on this particular shloka so yeah so i i i still feel that i don't have it together that i can actually convince somebody or explain it well to somebody so i would say it is evolving and it is much better than what it used to be when we were growing up dp sounds like you got yourself into a rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> no he has actually you know this has been going on for last 6 months because i had made him uh, read rupa pai's book on geeta and and then he wrote a com- wrote a uh, nice. book summary on that and and then you know we were we have been debating this for last 6 months but I, obviously awesome. i am not able to uh you know con- convince him or explain it to him very well yeah now i was just thinking if we look this shloka in terms of swami vivekananda's perspective how will it be swami vivekananda did so much of work you know i mean right from so many things i mean everybody is aware i mean from his perspective what this could mean to him to us this famous poem right good good bad bad whosoever wears the chain uh, what 
where's the chain to <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good one yeah yeah but but counterintuitively he also said arise awake stop not till the goal is achieved <laughs> so he did focus on the goal i think that's an interesting one and i've had this discussion with a lot of people so the goal of self realization actually it's not a result of any action so that's why it is not a karma phal so that particular goal is the one that that you can have because it is not achieved by any action so it's not in contradiction with this particular one yeah. and rest everything where it is a karma and there's a causality involved then then yes do not have the uh, and or be prepared for the worst outcome <laughs> you know or whatever outcome comes because only the effort is in your hand so that's how that's how i understood it right so got uh, shamala and manu and then we probably will have to close this jd uh, today so manu i uh, saw you raise the hand first yeah thanks um so i was just going to comment you know vp was talking about how he was uh, you know Uh, how he's asked his son to read this part and it was funny because i also read out the, this part to my daughters the other day <laughs> because you know uh, so my my older daughter is getting ready you know she's uh, going to be a senior next year already getting all you know bent out of shape about how oh, i will not get into a good college and this and that and so i was reading her this part where he says that all failures in life can be directly traced to have arisen from an impoverished mental equanimity that is generally created by unintelligent entertainment of fears regarding possible failures so i thought that was just so amazing and i read it out like you know multiple times to to the girls because i'm like you guys are thinking about and getting upset about things that are you know possible failures which may or may not happen but you you get all stressed out for no rhyme or reason and then you can't even focus on what you need to do so i think that's what i feel is you know so beautifully explained here um that you you like don't get all bent out of shape about what could possibly go wrong you know do your work you know calmly with focus and you will get what you deserve or what is right for you so i think that was, that's just i i found that statement very beautiful nice one shamla yeah so to your question radish have we heard this uh, shloka before i think yes we have heard it for the longest time and probably one of the very few bhagavad shloka that we can recite because of the reading that happened from the beginning of the life kelly Can you? Yeah, we can hear you. Your voice was, uh, uh, you know, fading up and down. Yeah, no, I just said that this is probably one of the very few stokas that I can recite and remember from Bhagavad Gita because of the brimming that happened. But the context in which that I remember this gets used is more consoling somebody when things haven't happened or somebody is disappointed, right? No, no, you have done your best, and this is what you should have done, but you don't have. you know rights for the results kind of that was the context i distinctly remember for a longest time why people use this shloka but yeah this last one year has been an eye opener into how it can and it's still even maybe we are still scratching the surface but a lot much more meaning into what was being said 
what is being said. But that, that's more often than not, that was the context in which I heard people use. Thank you, Shamla. Raj <clears throat> Rajesh, one last sentence. Um, Shamla, it, it really is like that. Like whenever we use it, it's as if we are not using for uh, successes, but failures. But my mother always used to say one thing. She would first say the shloka, and then if it's a failure, she would say, all failures are a path leading to success. So it, it used to be a spin to, <laughs> you know, getting a success. So maybe you can use that. With that, I'll, I'll close. Rajesh, back to you. Right. So uh, for next week, I think we will uh, discuss 47 to 50, if that's okay with you. Uh, I don't know whether we'll be able to cover everything, but let's keep that as a goal. And uh, uh, perhaps we can, uh, you know, uh, continue the chat on, 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 on the WhatsApp group. Okay. So with that, uh, you know, let's uh, conclude with our uh, uh, concluding prayer, Shloka. Oh, Asatoma Sadgamaya. Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya, Mrityorma Mrutangamaya, Om Shanti 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 Sri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om Sarvejana Sukhino Bhavantu Om Shanti 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 Thank you so much. And uh, those of you who are interested in the Chaturmasa thing, please join into Vivek's Parents in the next uh, 28 minutes. See you around there. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye.